Hey there. Just before we start the show, I want to let you know that we're doing a pledge drive to help cover our hosting and production costs for both Mega 10 Marathon and Combo Chain for the next year. It actually costs us over $500 a year, and so any amount you could contribute would be huge help. Since it's a pledge drive, we've got some special giveaways. Not tote bags, unfortunately, but if you contribute $5, you'll get an episode on The World Ends With You months before it gets released. Contribute 10 bucks, and you'll get that, as well as a special deep dive episode on Persona 5 Royal. But seriously, any amount is a huge help. Uh, to contribute, head over to tinyurl.com backslash Megatenchain. Thanks so much for the support, and as always, for listening to the shows. Welcome to the 44th episode of Mega Ten Marathon. It's a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. And uh, who am I here with today? Uh, hello, my name is Elisa James. Well, welcome back, Elisa. Thank you. <laughs> and I am Ethan Lorenzen. Welcome, Ethan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we really appreciate that you kind of just step in and help out. So we're really stoked to have you on the show. Ethan, do you want to just give us a little uh, backstory on your history with SMT? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I started playing SMT with, I believe, uh, Shamagami Tensei 4 on the 3DS. I went back a little bit. I played quite a few of them. I think I've played every single one that's available on DS and 3DS and a few of them on PS2. I have Nocturne and stuff like that. I, I haven't played most of the older ones, and I don't really play Persona. But yeah, that's my that's my history with that. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty impressive. Like, more than one SMT game is impressive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, we're we're a weird breed. <laughs> so yeah, we're so we're so happy to have you on the show. On this episode, we are going to be doing Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor, which is a tactical RPG. It's a departure from most SMT games to date. I guess that the uh, Super Famicom Meijin Tensei games would be an exception. So yeah, it was originally released for the uh, Nintendo DS in 2009. A enhanced port, Devil Survivor Overclocked, was later released in 2011 for the Nintendo 3DS, which it adds some an additional scenario, obviously an improvement in the uh, graphics and whatnot, and a few like quality of life improvements. I'm not sure about y'all, but that's the version that I've played. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think I actually did play the original for a bit, but then I actually ended up getting the remake as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I don't know, I think I tried the original on an an emulator at one point. Yeah, it did not go over well. Oh, man. (laughs) 
Yeah, the game was pretty much intended to be an introduction to uh, newcomers to the series, which I feel like <laughs> is uh, the story <laughs> with every every DS and 3DS uh, SMT game. You can see this in the visual novel-like interludes that make up most of the story segments, mm-hmm. but you definitely can't see it in the battles, which are basically as punishing as any any SMT game that came before them. Like, seriously, I think that one of the failings of this game is that if you make a single mistake in a battle really early on, you're pretty much screwed for the rest of the battle. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, oh, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, it's really, really brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like when I played uh, Tactics in a way. It, when you mess up in Tactics and you messed up, you felt it as soon as you, like, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And it just wrecks your whole... <laughs> See, it snowball out of control. Exactly. I know it's a lot of a lot of tactical RPG purists are really against being able to say turn back turns or turning off permadeath. Talking about like Fire Emblem hardcore. <laughs> oh my but, god! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the most recent two Fire Emblems were the best ones because you could turn back time, and I've played them all. Like <laughs> I know because. Sometimes you just, we're adults, like, sometimes you just don't want to play, like, through 30 minutes again of your life, because you messed up and lost. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I don't have time for that. But I do think that this came out at an interesting point in time where those features were just starting to be introduced into tactical RPGs, and I'm sure you can find older examples, but I think this came out right around right before that really got popularized in tactical RPGs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mhm. Yeah, the game was uh, developed by CareerSoft, which was an Atlas acquisition that was previously best known for the Langrisser games, which is not surprising if you played any of the Langrisser games. And basically, to uh, match the visual novel portions of the game, they got a uh, manga artist, uh, Suzuhito Yasuda, who served as the primary character design designer. The anime style, the visuals are a major departure from uh, previous non-Persona SMT games. And I feel like it's almost a fake out. You look at it and you think, oh, this is kind of like a SMT light game. And And that is not the case at all. Um, Not even a little. (laughs) No, but it does not. Yeah, it definitely does not go for the Kazuma Kaneko, like very kind of grim, realistic manga style. Yeah. Another thing that's interesting that they did is, and I think also ties into the visual novel influences rather than uh, going for kind of a strict law chaos neutral alignment the designers opted for a more nuanced system where the character choices and the responses and dialogue could lead to a number of uh, different scenarios and uh, there's as many as uh, six different endings yeah yeah, just to get you started off with the premise of the game, a devil survivor is set in modern-day Tokyo. 
it's been set, put in quarantine, or at least this portion of Tokyo has been put in quarantine after a demon outbreak, resulting in the area not having electricity. Lots of people don't have access to their homes, and、uh, you have you're basically playing as a 17 year old student who discovers that he has the ability to see a person's remaining lifespan. And、uh, decides to basically work to avoid as many deaths as possible. Between combat, the player can explore several districts in Tokyo to either advance the plot by speaking to specific characters, discover new information, or take part in free battles that aren't story-driven but can be used to improve the party's skills and experience. And so, certain story-based activities will advance the game's clock and may lead to other activities becoming no longer available. Since the game's overall story is nonlinear, choices made earlier in the game may affect which characters and battles are available in the later parts of the game. The combat itself is pretty similar to、uh, most tactical turned RPGs like Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics, that sort of thing. Though with a Shin Megami Tensei flavor, you summon the usual demons and battle them as well. Though many of the arenas have additional wrinkles, like rescuing civilians and getting them to a predetermined part of the map, and true to SMT battles, if you attack an opponent's weakness, your player gains an extra attack, and of course, vice versa is also true for the enemy sets. If the leader is taken down to zero health, the entire squad becomes disabled, even if the two supporting units remain healthy. The player controls up to four squads, each led by one of the major human characters in the game, with summoned human as with summoned demons as their supporting units. Most of the enemies faced in the game are either squads of demons or a demon tamer with their own summoned demons. Each unit has up to seven abilities: three active ones that lead to combat actions, three passive ones that affect unit statistics, strengths, and weaknesses, and a final slot for the race-specific demon skills. Or for the human characters as a means of buff as a means of buffing their squad at the start of a combat round. For demons, new abilities are learned through either through leveling up, being trained a new ability by the player after defeating a certain number of enemies, or as a result of fusion, inheriting the ability from one of two demons used in the fusion. This is done through an interface on your comp and can only be managed during non-battle portions. The player's human character gain these skill cracking abilities from the demons or the other opponents that they face. The player must target a specific skill from a specific unit on the field for each human character before battle, and then defeat that unit with that character's squad. Once cracked, the player can assign these skills across all of their party's human characters. 
This is such a nightmare. It's a real <laughs> rough one. It's so hard because invariably the skill that you want to crack is on the demon that is basically beating up someone else. Yeah. Beating up someone else on the other side of the field. And yeah, you need to be like drawing out like diagrams to figure out how to get your ass over there and skill crack. (laughs) And it's just so stressful. It's so stressful in general because it it requires so much like for like weird forethought and planning for something that like you have to pick on the fly because you have no idea if the character that you specifically um, use to target that specific demon is even going to be a good matchup. If you need other characters to help, you have to make sure they don't kill the demon or else you're going to probably have to restart the battle if you really want the skill. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's just so stressful like trying to work it. I feel like we have a, a, recurring, a recurring segment, which is what's the most hateful SMT shit in this game? And <laughs> skill cracking might be up there. I don't yeah. know. If it, I don't yeah. know. There's, there's some bosses later on that... <laughs> we'll, we'll get to, but uh, yeah, it's no fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's uh, just go through the characters real quick. You have the protagonist who's uh, referred to as the hero or uh, whatever name you give him. He's the main character of the story. There's Yuzu Tanakawa. It's the protagonist's childhood friend since elementary school who struggles to deal with the strain of constant danger and wishes to run away from it all. You've got Atsura Kehara, the protagonist's childhood friend who's computer savvy. Even though he's a genius, uh, he uh, doesn't really have a studious personality. He's a, lazy, uh, he's a little lazy. He wants to control the demons, erasing the threat, and ultimately benefiting mankind. You've got Midori Kamaki, a famous and excitable cosplayer whose alias is Dolly. After receiving comp, she strives to save everyone from the demons, claiming that she is Magical Dolly, who administers magical punishment to demons. There's Keske Takagi, Atsuro's old friend from middle school. Although he appears timid, he has a strong sense of justice and righteousness, almost to a fault when he ends up summoning Yama, the judge of the underworld. And you have uh, Yoshino Harasawa, who's also known as Haru. She's a famous singer who was previously in the band DVA. She seems to be pretty depressed and just has a generally negative outlook on life. Okay, so we have... Not um, relatable at all. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) So we have uh, Mari uh, Mochizuki, Atsuro's kind and caring tutor from middle school, who is now an elementary school nurse. She's looking for the killer who murdered her lover and teamed up with a vampire slayer named Kreznik. Amane Kuzuru... Sorry, Kuzuryu, the uh, mysterious yet charismatic maiden of the Shomonkai. She is one of the few people who can summon demons without a comp. 
Next is Tadashi Nikaido, known as Kaido. He's the leader of a gang called the Shibuya Diamonds. Although he appears intimidating, he's actually quite helpful. He strives for world domination, as you do. <laughs> I was through a, I was through a uh, Twilight Zone uh, podcast called The Twilight Pwn. And uh, one of their uh, regular jokes is uh, that a lot of characters in the show would have these conversations that were like, what's your motivation? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that. (laughs) In an SMT game, the answer to that question would pretty much always be (laughs) world domination. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> and then he also uh, has a lingering crush on Mari. So next is Eji Kamiya, also known as Gin. He's the owner of a bar called Eji and acts as a guardian to Haru. He used to be uncaring about life, but met Aya, the lead singer of uh, DVA, and cared and learned to care more. Naoya is the protagonist's cousin who lived with the protagonist until a few years before the story. He wrote the demon summoning program and wishes for the protagonist to become the king of Bell and rebel against God. Looks like the worst David Bowie cosplayer ever. (laughs) (laughs) He does. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's a cross between uh, David Bowie and someone else, but I don't know, maybe like a crappy, like Marilyn Manson cosplayer or something. (laughs) So we have uh, Yasuyuki Honda, an office worker who is trying to escape the lockdown so he can be by his son's side during his operation. He teams up with Kaido during battles. Mizaki Izuna is a member of a special government unit that is attempting to get rid of all the demons. And finally, Shoji, a journalist who occasionally meets the protagonist and his friends. She is adept at gathering information. Her mentor was a mentor was a friend of Ten Bit, Atsuro's internet friend. For the story, the first chapter is called Day Before an End to the Ordinary. On the first day, your player character awakens, or not awakens, finds that he and his two friends, Atsuro Kahara, and a computer hacker, and Yuzu Tanikawa, a spirited fighter, have been given modified electronic devices called comps by his older cousin, Naoya. Atsuro finds the menu for the comps are different from his own back home. After investigating the comps received from Naoya, Atsuro accidentally activates a program that summons demons. This basically serves as your first training battle. Yeah, so after fending off the demons released from the comps, the protagonist, Yuzu, and Atsuro debate on whether to keep the comps. Yuzu argues that they should get rid of these demon-summoning devices, 
imagine that's a great idea. <laughs> Demons jumping out. Demons appearing everywhere. They remember now he has said that they would need them, so they decide to go look for him to get some questions answered. Instead, Naoya tells him to go to the Monato Ku Ayuma Cemetery because he said they would meet a person who would influence their future actions. At the cemetery, you'll come across your first when your first encounter with Wendigo, which is way OP for you to fight off now. Fortunately, Amane makes an appearance as an NPC and takes care of Wendigo for you while you fight off just kind of some scrub kobolds and pixies. So on the first day, Tokyo Lockdown, after waking in the cemetery, you get two more emails. One from Naoya and the other is from the Laplace La Mall. You arrive to Shibuya Station just to find out that the station is closed and you won't be able to leave the Yamanote Circle anytime soon. With, with an outbreak of demons occurring within Tokyo, a large city area has been quarantined by the Japanese ground self-defense forces. They denied power, communications, and food to those trapped within the quarantine area. The chaotic situation has created vigilantes who try to take it on themselves to fight the demons or take advantage of weaker humans. The protagonist and his friends discover their comps allow them to summon helpful demons to fight the aggressive ones, allowing them to survive the attacks. The protagonist also finds that he has the ability to see a person's death clock, representing how many days a person will have left to live. While he uses it to help himself and his friends to change their own fate, the protagonist realizes that everyone within the quarantine will die within seven days. Dun dun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you learn from an email from Naomi about the skill crack option, which enables you to steal abilities from enemies. This is essential to building up your party skills, but adds an, an additional element of strategy because you have to choose which skill to crack with a specific party member before the battle begins. You have to beat that enemy with that party member to crack that skill. In your free battles, it's essential to crack some skills to beat that day's boss fight. Once again, you're facing Wendigo, and it continues to be overpowered. You need to take down the Moshuvus, ASAP, so you can gang up on Wendigo with Aggie. After this battle, you get, finally gain the ability to fuse demons. Before you call it a night, you have to engage in another battle, which adds a new wrinkle. Demon portals, which that need to be destroyed, or they keep spawning enemies. And I don't know if you guys know this, I learned this after playing the game. The Laplace Mailer is actually a reference to a complicated philosophical, theoretical, like, uh, hypothetical situation. It, uh, it's the idea that if you were able to gauge and know the position and elemental status and energy content of every atom in the universe, you could theoretically predict all events past and future, which is what it's alluding to with the predicting the future kind of deal. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's such a cool, yeah, that's a really cool reference. The SMC games are always really good at finding these kind of like little Easter eggs that are reach back to older philosophical concepts and whatnot. Absolutely. Uh, or mythical concepts. But yeah, that's a really good one. So now we're on to the second day. Any way out. You wake to find out that the government is blaming the events of the past day on gas explosions. Mm. The team <laughs> realized that they can't. <laughs> <sighs> 
They can't count on the government to help them out anymore, and they hatch a plan to escape via the tunnel by the train tracks. The morning's emails warn that at least 50 people will be killed by a monster. Meanwhile, society's continuing to break down, with people fighting over the supply shipments. <laughs> none, none of this sounds common. <laughs> none, of this, no. none of this sounds familiar nowadays. No, not at all. <laughs> no, this is certainly not relevant. Nope. <laughs> it's like they're under some sort um, of quarantine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Without enough supplies or anything like that. But what? And, this is I know, yeah. a lack of leadership? No way. <laughs> yeah, the government's <laughs> lying about the causes. Or not, not necessarily the causes, but the. Yeah, sounds fishy yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, well, what will those crazy uh, fiction writers come up with next? <laughs> <laughs> So basically, the team tries to make their way to the uh, Yamanote line and so they can escape. But they're told that the area has been blocked off. Okay. They come across a group of mobsters who've gotten their hands on comps and want to use their demon summoning program power to gain control of the lockdown, prompting a battle. The team then, after that battle, comes across uh, Shoji, who suggests that the lockdown is to isolate the demon threat, and that the government isn't particularly concerned about the people in the lockdown. Ding, Mm. ding, ding, ding. (laughs) 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 After after uh, a destroyed overpass, you learn that demons have figured out how to use comps, too. This is obviously bad news. After battling said demons, uh, you meet two government agents who warn your team to turn away and ominously refer to your team as targets, though one seems more sympathetic than the other. After a battle at a temple, the team comes across Kaido, who talks about how there have been a rash of bloody murders in recent months. He blames a vampire, but our protagonist knows better. During a battle at a park, the Shomenkai cult arrive and claim that they're going to save the civilians. Unfortunately, they're worse than useless until their leader, Amane, shows up. <laughs> uh, we just sit down and like meditate while the yeah. demons are attacking. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Amane tells the civilians that the demons feed on their fear and hatred and summons a goddess to take out the demons. Following that, the team learn that Keisuke and Midori have been cornered by demons and rushed to rescue them unaware that Keisuke has a comp of his own. Impressed by his performance in the battle, Midori gets her hands on a comp of her own. The team is horrified to learn that once she does this, her death timer decreases instead of increasing. At the end of the day, the team question how it is that more and more comps are appearing and worry that the more comps there are, the more things will escalate. They worry that the demons will succeed in summoning Belder and that Shoji's prediction that riots will erupt in the next two days will prove to be true. Yep, things are not looking good for our team. But yeah, that's where we're going to wrap it up today as far as the story goes, and we'll finish off the rest of the story in the uh, second part. Any thoughts that you guys have right now, or should we save them for the end of the next episode? All I'll say is that like, were the world to theoretically seem like it is in this game, 
at least there wouldn't be demons going about. I don't want to jinx things, but <laughs> <laughs> that would be really unfortunate. <laughs> that would be really hard. <laughs> oh my god! Like, <laughs> like that's just like the last month of 2020. Just we finally get out demonic invasion. You know what? <laughs> now that lady, that lady at the grocery store might be screaming at me because I'm wearing a mask. But at the very least, she doesn't have like a uh, a demon on her side. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's not a lot of like Karen's like. Busting out their comps and like <laughs> summoning Jack Frost and <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least Jack Frost would be adorable, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I feel like on the 2020 bingo by December, it's gonna the entire it's just gonna be a strange journey, basically. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> They have been talking about magnetic problems with the Earth's uh, field or whatever. The Schwarzwelt might be coming. <laughs> I, I, for one, welcome our Schwarzwelt overlords. Me <laughs> <I do> too. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I couldn't get much worse. Exactly. <laughs> but otherwise with this game itself it's it's actually pretty it's pretty interesting playing first of all like a Shin Megami Tensei game in this uh, tactical JRPG style but I actually ended up really enjoying it they did a really good job with the mechanics in general and like I said I've played other types like this too and the only I know I think we talked about this earlier but I think the only tear was that with this game if you make a mistake in the very beginning you know, that it will screw you over later on. Like, it's pretty oh. hard to recover from an error early on. So that I think that's my biggest, like, cavat with this game, that they didn't, like, even out the uh, difficulty in that regard, like how other tactical games do. Once again, since Atlas doesn't do games like this in the first place, I think they did a pretty good job with it. It's a lot of fun. I love the characters. I love the story. Not a fan of the art, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and fair. It's over. It's a game that's over ten years old now, as far as the first version of it. Yeah, and so some of the innovations that have come along in the past decade to make tactical games a little more forgiving weren't weren't really around or weren't nearly as common back then. One of the things that I think is interesting about it is the way it really clearly melds a kind of like tactical battle RPG with like a visual novel. Um, yeah. It wasn't until revisiting it this time that it really struck me how major a role the visual novel elements play in it. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. It's a very interesting game, and I, I really like it for the most part a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one yeah. of my fa- It and Strange Journey are my favorite SMT games, I think. Yeah, it's definitely up there for me. But, uh, yeah, maybe we should wrap it up there for now, because we have a, we're going to have a lot to talk about in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, probably a lot more thoughts. <laughs> Let's see. Ethan, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up here? 
Not a whole lot. I am Vernatio on Twitter, V at V-E-R-N-A-T-I-O. I don't really do a whole lot else. Sometimes I publish videos on YouTube under the same name, but that's it. Cool. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Looking forward to having you back on the next episode. Sweet. And, uh, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're, uh, you're bonded. You signed your contract. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Elisa? Uh, do you have anything uh, new to plug or anything worthwhile to mention? Um, yeah, I actually have a, a couple things. Um, my normal plug of the uh, website I work for, DualShockers.com. Basically, DualShockers is an online video game publication. So we do news, previews, reviews, editorials, that sort of thing. It's a great website, independent as well. You're getting a very independent look into the industry. And related to that, we recently, I think about like last week or so, had a PAX Online panel air through Twitch TV. And uh, the panel was about what we would want to see in the next Persona 6. So I would say definitely check it out. Uh, it's on YouTube now. And we basically just go through all the things that we've loved about the past Persona games we'd want to see reoccur in the next installment. Uh, we, we talked about things that we'd want to see Atlas just leave behind in the dust because we feel like it would otherwise hold back Persona 6. And just anything new that we'd want to see them explore as well if they were to do uh, a new installment of the uh, franchise. So it's a lot of fun. It's an hour long. It's a great, fun chat between a bunch of us who are just huge fans of the series. And you definitely check that out. And you can also check me out on Twitter right. at. I feel like I could. I feel like I could write. Sorry. I feel like I could write a novel about the things I'd like to see different. <laughs> I know. <laughs> at the top, it's titled. It's titled. Please stop making homophobic and transphobic jokes. I mean, baby, yeah. they're, not, they're not. They're not funny. No one laughs. <laughs> not even the edgy gamers care. <laughs> yeah. well, you know what you know what? what's actually interesting and i don't know if we can credit atlas japan or just their localization team but i just started playing 13 sentinels aegis rim last night uh-huh. and it is even within the first two hours like for surprisingly Pro queer and pro trans issues. Wow, so, that's awesome! Uh, damn, um, definitely gonna have to buy it then. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Wow, that is cool. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely check out Dual Shockers and Elisa's Elisa's panel. There's, there's a ton brought up that are really good ideas and yeah, stuff that I'd like to see in there too. Yeah. And for me, I would say, first and foremost, we're doing a pledge drive to help support Mega Ten Marathon and Combo Chain, uh, the hosting costs and the recording software costs run us about 500 bucks a year. And so we are doing a pledge drive. Any amount that you can uh, contribute would be awesome. But if you contribute $5... 
you get early access to a combo chain episode about the world ends with you that elisa and i recorded and that's not going to be coming out for a couple of months so you get early access to do to that donate 10 and you both get the world ends with you episode as well as a special episode on of mega 10 marathon about uh, persona 5 royal which we're just going to go into depth about what's changed in the new version, how it's turned out, and how we feel about the game as a whole with a few years of perspective. And yeah, as we said, anything would be a huge help. So yeah, thank you for anything that you can contribute. There'll be a link in uh, the show notes to this episode, but you can also go to... uh, tinyurl.com backslash chain, and that'll take you to the page to make a contribution. And other than that, just the usual. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and yeah, if you're feeling very generous, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other places where that sort of thing is done. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. As always, thank you, Elisa and Ethan. Thank you as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for Ethan, having me as so well. For joining us. Yeah, of course. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we will be back very soon with the second part of Devil Survivor. Thanks for Sweet. listening. All right. Take See care, everyone. Around.